we age cheese, which means you have to wait months until you sieve the cheese that you made several months before were good or bad. And if it doesn't taste great, I mean, you write notes, but you've been making cheese every week, repeating the same mistake probably, right? And you don't know it until several months later. So, David, when we went to Lamppost Cheese in downtown Lebanon, what were your thoughts? I was kind of excited just going to that space because I love cheese. Mm -hmm. And I've been to some cheese processing plants before, but most of all, it made me feel like Mr. Rogers. Okay, explain that. Well, I mean, you know, like he goes on his um, field trips, right? And he'll take the viewer on the field trip with him to the back room of like Baldwin Piano, where you have the artisans who are creating pianos hmm. at the Baldwin Studios or whatever. So we went into Lamppost Cheese and she took us on a tour of the back room to the mold room or whatever that's the aging room yeah, where the cheese ages and molds and that thing happens. And I felt like Mr. Rogers. And my daughter wants to learn video editing, so we've been taking her along, bought a GoPro for the Once One of His podcast, and she has been recording some snippets of interviews and stuff like that, but she actually caught that entire tour on video, so we're going to release that so everybody can kind of experience what we experienced, although not quite as cool because you won't actually be there. And you don't have to wear the hairnet. Mm, that's right. We did have to wear a hairnet, wash, wash our shoes to walk into the room just because it's a real sterile environment. Yeah, it's legitimate production facility. Yeah, which is really amazing that it's just right downtown in Lebanon. They're making wonderful cheese. And so that in itself was intriguing enough for us to sit down with Cecilia and kind of ask some questions about, like, why are you doing this? What motivated this? What's your story? And we found out that she has a really clear vision of what Lamppost Cheese can become and five core values that really guide everything they do. Yeah, and that's really neat because not everybody who's in business has as clear of a vision as she had. And it was refreshing to see a mature philosophy laid out in five very clear and simple points. I think everybody will enjoy this conversation with Cecilia from Lamppost Cheese. So I have a question for you. We've never met before, yeah. Um, but I hear that you're from Spain. Is yeah. that true? It is true. Okay. What part of Spain are Madrid. you from? Madrid. I've never been to Madrid. I've been to Barcelona. Barcelona. Yeah. That kind of passed through Barcelona, but <laughs> um, yeah, I haven't been in Spain very much. But what I saw in Barcelona was interesting. Yeah. I mean, obviously it's a completely different culture than we have in America, right? Yeah. And so I assume that you grew up in Spain. Yeah, I grew up in Spain and my family is still living there, uh, except my brother that lives in Paris. So my parents are in Madrid, but the, my father grew up in San Sebastian, which is the north of Spain. So it has, it's on the sea and it has a little different culture, culinary, and even, they even have a different language okay. that I don't speak. 
uh, because it's really different than anything else. So. Yeah. But I grew up in Madrid, which is a big city. It's like three million uh, in population, and and I went to college in Madrid, and then I went. I did. A, so I was. I went to college for biology. Okay. And I did uh, grad school in Paris, also in cell biology. And then I moved to Seattle to work in a research institute. Um, and I was there for six years. Then I got a job in France, in Strasbourg, which is near the, the border with Germany. And I was there two years, and then my husband, who I met in Seattle, and he's American, got a job with Procter and Gamble here in Mason, and okay. so we decided to move here. Gotcha. And somehow we decided to live in a small town. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, Seattle, Paris, and Madrid are not small towns. No. And Strasbourg probably is not either. It was it's smaller the smallest of all of them, but it's still it's pro, it's hard to compare. But I think in in population it's smaller than Cincinnati, but you know it's a concentrated city like uh, European cities. Yeah, and it, it's been interesting the cult the different culture even compared to Seattle and here. And How would you? <laughs> concisely kind of break that down. I mean, what are some of the differences? I feel like it's probably more American, like more of the idea of America that you have when you have never visited the okay. U.S. other than New York. And Seattle was more like, what is going on here? But <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's fun. And I think the easiest way to explain, which I don't think it's a good way, would be more conservative. That's right? what I was okay. going to say, okay. yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, there's like a organized life. I Traditional. Think, right? Tradition. Well, yeah, I guess. How long have you been here? Five years. Now. Okay. Yeah. So now, now I'm used to it. <laughs> <laughs> and when did you start Lampost Cheese? So Lampost Cheese, we started... Uh, in 2016, so it was a year after I moved here. So I, I said I was a biologist doing research, and I got a little burnout, and I wasn't seeing a clear career. Um, my career was in acad in academia, and it's hard to get the job. And and so when Ryan, who is my husband, there was a moment where like what what are we gonna do because in France my 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 contract was just for two years and and I really didn't like it and I, I mean I really liked living there but I didn't like the job and I was just you know you do your job without any yeah. interest and I was like okay you find a place to go <laughs> I just follow <laughs> and I'll figure out my life uh, so when we came here. I wasn't sure what I was going to do, but I had already started making cheese in Seattle. And okay. in Seattle, we had already thought about starting a business, but uh, because the full, full-time full jobs and hiking and all those kind of things, <laughs> I didn't really pursue. And so when we were here, we saw that 
like breweries starting, but not as many as now, you know, it was mm-hmm. like, oh, we're starting to be breweries, companies roasting coffee, like local uh, coffee companies. And that's what was happening in Seattle when we were living there, where they started, you know, the craft brewery, the craft coffee, the craft chocolate, and then there was cheese making. So we're like, okay, I think we got at the good time to start. Uh, and at that time, there was only another cheese maker in the area. Mm-hmm. Okay. And we're like, this can be a good time to start a business. And if it looks like people are interested in local food and craft food and where your food comes from. And it can be a good opportunity to, to do it. So just thinking about Lebanon, my... Assumption is that you probably don't have a competitor who is also making cheese locally. Is that true? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's true. Yeah. So how has the community responded to you being present here? I'm sure that you could buy cheese for less money somewhere else. Yeah. But being myself a connoisseur of excellent things, I (laughs) highly appreciate super great cheese. Yeah. And I'm so glad I, to I hear understand that. why cheese would cost more, but why it would also be like a life quality of life experience point that I would be willing to spend money on. Yeah. So actually, I started making cheese in Seattle because I complain about the price. Now I know why it's expensive. <laughs> and yeah, now I'm like, please, everybody needs to understand why, yeah. <laughs> why it's expensive and why it's worth paying more than your commodity cheese right. uh, in the plastic wrap at Kroger. We opened here actually only two years ago. So when I started, I I was actually renting space from the other cheese maker that was in Sharonville. And I was making only 24 pounds a week and selling at farmer's markets and a few restaurants. And that went well. And so we thought, okay, uh, let's let's grow this thing. So we have our customers. Um, you know, I come often and all that. At the same time, I think there's, and I'm struggling with how to communicate who we are. Uh, a lot of people don't seem to understand that we make cheese and sell wine and beer. I I don't know why. So that's a. Uh a European thing, yeah, right? So, I mean, in Paris, you might run across that. Yeah. You know, in America, I don't think traditionally that's been a cultural no. piece that we've, you know, explored much. Yeah. yeah. That would be hard to bridge, I think, in some ways. But there has to be, I mean, people are craving a space to be present. Yeah. A place to enjoy something other than like a heavy meal, you know? Yeah. And, and we have, I mean, we have people, especially... Uh, people that have traveled to Europe right. and that they, you know, they are excited that, oh, this is great. And some people come and they don't know what to expect and they enjoy really much the experience and they come back. Um, it's hard, what I think is hard for people to get inside. Like sometimes they, but, or a lot of people come thinking we just sell cheese, call, you know, they will ask about Colby and Havarti and all that. I was like, well, I don't. Yeah. <laughs> That's not the ones that we make. Sorry. Uh, usually, so before the pandemic, we were we always give 
samples of all the cheeses because I, I think people need to try the cheese before they, they buy it, especially that it's, it's a little expensive. So I, and usually if people try the cheeses, uh, they end up buying something that they like. So, so it's just um, a matter of them going through the door and getting hooked by us. <laughs> so you're introducing something that's not really been present yeah. in, in Lebanon and really just in this area of yeah. the United States. So people listening to this podcast very well may be kind of in that crowd of people that are like, I didn't even know a place like that existed before, Yeah, which is great. I hope there are people listening like that <laughs> because we want to open people's eyes to yeah. <laughs> these kinds of things that are happening. What are some things that you would want them to know about and what you're doing here and uh, why they should come check it out? Well, I think if they want an experience that is different than your regular place around here, like we don't have TVs. This is not a sports bar. We, and that may be detrimental for us because, you know, but my whole thing was try not to be pretentious, right? Okay, yeah. I know for Americans, eating cheese, cured meat, and wine seems like uh, a, kind a of like luxury. A, yeah, yeah. For me, in Spain, I mean, that, not the wine, but the cheese and the cured meat was my snack, right? So we want to make everyone feel comfortable, and we know that they are, they're going to try cheeses that they are not used to eat, and... We try to accommodate everyone, and and I, I mean, maybe someone didn't have a good experience and didn't tell us, but <laughs> generally people enjoy it, and they are surprised that you can, you know, that the cheeses taste the way they do, and mm -hmm. we pair the cheese with, uh, so it depended, but we have jam or mustard, and we have olives, and almonds and bread and olive oil so it's mm -hmm. you know it's like a whole experience of eating our cheeses and other cheeses and some other local products um in a different way i think that what you you can experience in other places so in an interesting way it sounds like it is an a twist on maybe like a coffee shop for an american if an American can think of this more as a space to come and maybe do a little bit of work, but maybe relax in the afternoon, you know, between meals or something like that, that would be a kind of an application that they might connect with. Yeah, and that was my idea. I was hoping people will stay and hang out. And that's the other, I think, dif cultural differences. I think Americans are very used to rush for food like you eat your food quickly go, and yeah. you want to rush and go here and there except when you're having dinner that you sit down right but uh so i was hoping i'm like i i wish people sit here and stay and just chit chat for hours i'll be happy is that sort of the philosophy behind not having tvs yeah, yeah. um and we also used to have live music from time to time. 
and we also did events like pairing events with I don't know, cheese and wine, but also we had a local person that does tea parties and she knows a lot about tea, so we pair tea and cheeses. Um, <laughs> Very cool. So things are a little more creative where people can learn things about the cheese in a fun way, just eating and drinking. So. Yeah. I think a lot of... <laughs> people like me have sort of like a European fantasy. <laughs> you know, it's like maybe come from movies or something like that. But the idea of live music and cheese and good drinks and friends and dancing and just yeah. like that celebration, that richness of life, it seems kind of appealing, Yeah. you know? And I've known about Lampost Cheese for, I don't know, a year and a half or something. But I, I don't think that I knew that, you know, about like kind of the the idea behind it. I mean, that's a really beautiful, attractive thing. And the other thing is that maybe it's hard for Americans is we're kid-friendly. Okay, so we have wine and beer, but uh, when I'm at the farmer's market, a lot of that I used to give samples, at first I was like, oh, the kids are not going to like it. And, you know, they're giving the cheese to the kids and there's a not gonna turn out well and actually the kids love the cheese and a lot of times it's the kids that are my best uh, ambassadors because sometimes you know they try the cheese and then they go to their parents and say hey there is this great cheese you have to buy cheese but then there's other parents that there's like oh my kids are not gonna eat cheese you know and and then they don't want to come with the kids and they are like we'll come one night that we don't have the kids and then it gets complicated when i'm like i have customers that they they come every saturday for lunch to have cheese and things with their six-year-old kid you know and she loves the cheese and the cured meat and sometimes if it's there's something spicy she doesn't like it but you know there are other things and i don't know how to to transmit all that. We try with the social media and all that, but I'm not sure. Sometimes I'm like, I don't know if we're doing a good job communicating all that or... When you're talking, I hear a lot of cultural pieces that you have having come from Europe and some cultural values that are in American culture that aren't the same. But when I think about it, having experienced European culture myself, I really appreciate the value that Europeans put on kids. I mean, even going through an international airport, if you've got small children, they let you cut into the front of the line. They make you go to the front. Yeah. You don't wait in line. In America, if you've got kids, you stand in that line because oh, yeah. <laughs> you don't cut in line, you know? Um, but it would be a beautiful thing for local Americans here in Lebanon um, to just experience the difference that is in a space that functions in a way that's not the way that we normally function yeah. day to day. And we've been talking a lot about diversity, especially with um, the things going on with uh, American culture and politics right now. And just bringing my kids down here to experience what it might, a little taste of Europe, for <laughs> instance, that would enrich their worldview and their understanding of how people relate. Mm -hmm. And maybe they could catch the vision of how we can be present in a place in America in a different way that is healthy yeah. and good for us as a community. And the other thing that I was trying is like, I really care. I mean, I'm, I'm from Spain, of course, but I live here and I care about things that happen here and my community, right? And 
and I also try to behave like an American. <laughs> but and because I care about local community, I care about local producers and local products. And actually, all my I'm not trying to be the cheese shop that has import cheeses, and I'm gonna show you what the French eat. This is American cheeses. We have a few Europeans, but most of them are American products. And you know, it's you can you can do like Europeans, but with your that's right <laughs> lo supporting your local community of producers. So it's like an American twist on a European classic, yeah. right? Yeah. When we first had our conversation, you had something like four or five things that you share with me that were almost kind of like pillars yeah. of what you're doing here. Would you mind kind of elaborating on that, yeah. sharing those? The business it's, uh, has been founded by my husband and myself. I'm the one making the cheese and, and I'm here full time. He has his full time job, but he helps afterwards and everything. And when we decided to start, we really sit down and thought, what do we want to be uh, as a business? Um, what are we hoping to transmit, right? We just don't want to make a product and sell it like the cheapest or mm -hmm. make a lot of money. Uh, well, we want to make a lot of money, but that's not <laughs> happening. <laughs> um, so we came out with five important points that we cared. So first it was, uh, we are artisans. We make cheese by hand. Um, and we care about those tradition, European traditions on how to make cheese by hand. But at the same time, we are modern. We, I mean, it's 2020, you, you need to take advantage of <laughs> things. And so we like to take advantage whenever you can. And for example, one thing is collaborated with a researcher that will study our microbiome in the aging room, right? Mm -hmm. And also, we don't want to have, we didn't want to be the, this image of, he made fun of me saying, Grandma Cecilia there with his, her pot, you know, in the kitchen making cheese. It's, I mean, it's exciting to make cheese by hand. There's a lot of science behind. And so we also want to educate people about that part. Uh, have an, like a modern image, right? So artisan modern. Uh, we care about local. So... Not only we get local milk from a local farmer, it's a small farm, it's a family run, like labels are made by a local uh, company. Every time we can, and we think about something, the first thing is like, is there anyone local doing this that we can collaborate? Because we really believe that the local Businesses and the local community, the local businesses are important for a um, healthy community. Mm -hmm. Let's say that. Uh, local. Uh, then sustainability. We care about the environment. We try to have as little waste as possible. Uh, try to reduce our plastic consumption. Not, it's not always easy, but uh, so. But when we can, we make an effort, a mental effort, to be like, can I use another product than plastic? 
can we do something to avoid throwing waste all the time? And for example, one big waste of cheese making is whey. Pigs love whey. Uh, so we had farmers coming to pick up the whey and it added more work because we don't have a space with a tank to, to store it. I mean, it was like almost 200 gallons of whey actually. So. So we had to ask for buckets and you need to clean the buckets because everything needs to be sanitized there. And then you're filling five gallon buckets at a time. And, you know, maybe it's only 30 minutes longer, but when your date's already 12 hours long, those <laughs> right. 30 minutes uh, no filling buckets, yeah. sometimes you're like, okay, <laughs> but I mean, it was, we care and it was also good to think okay this is going to a farmer and they're feeding the pigs and that's nicer than thinking it's just going to the drain just to save me 30 minutes so sustainability and then we have social responsibility so we try to whatever we do also be uh, aware of the social issues and and, and be responsible, right? Like we try to hire employees as diverse as we can. We try to support the community with whatever we can and, you know, try to be welcoming and open to everyone. And if we have to speak up when we see something that we don't like, not because of some political idea, but because we believe that it's not fair for people. Um, we, we try not to be quiet. Beautiful. I love those. Yeah, <laughs> those are great. They're really good. And they undergird what you're doing, right? Like they, yeah. those are the types of things that define what type of business it is and yeah. what people experience when they interact with it. And those things are the why of Lampost Cheese. So. Yeah, it is. And it, it's also because that's how I started learning how to make cheeses. I was living in Seattle. Maybe it was my age. I started to really care about where the food comes from, how is it made, how people are paid that produce this. And I was getting more interested in learning all that and realizing that there are two ways to do things one like you exploit people to have cheap prices or or you take care of environment and people and things are a little more expensive but i think it's worth it's worth it so so how would you define success I, I, because I've heard the podcast, uh, I was, I've been thinking about this. So I don't know if it's success, but it's um, that I feel grat- gratified or mm-hmm. happy when first people try our cheese for the first time and, you know, their face lit up and they said, this is really good. I'm like, okay. <laughs> but also when this place is full of people enjoying food and drinks and hmm. and um, and a sense of community. I think one of my best memories is going to be last Christmas. We had the high school jazz band here, the full one. I, don't, I think there were like 15 kids, like two tuba, 
drummer, everything. So they start, and I was making cheese that day. So, you know, it's a long day. It's 6 p.m. that you are there for, it's been already 10 hours. And you start seeing people coming, and they were playing music here, and everybody was in the other side enjoying, and it was like Christmas music and, you know, jazz. And, and I, and that was, that was, I was like, okay, this is worth it. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> I love that answer. <laughs> Looking at where you're at now compared to where you were when you started this business, are you happy with what you have here? And when you're looking ahead to the future, what is it that you're hoping for or what is a dream that you have? Yeah. When you are in all these things, you don't realize how much you've done, right? You really need to sit and realize, like, we design the space, we find the equipment, we set up everything. I was really worried about one thing is to make a cheese out of two gallons of milk in your kitchen. And another thing is suddenly you have 200 gallons of yeah, milk. Yeah, it's very different, I'm sure. That first it was more expensive and second, uh, how it's all going to behave, you, that you have to warm at the right temperature and timing and everything. So... I was really focused on that, and I have to say the cheeses came out good. Um, I will give you some to taste. (laughs) (laughs) Um, People like it, and not just people, but we have chefs that buy the cheese, and so I... I have to remind me, remind myself, you did all this. Uh, is We age cheese, which means you have to wait months until you sieve the cheese that you made several months before were good or bad. And if it doesn't taste great, I mean, you write notes, but you've been making cheese every week, repeating the same mistake probably, right? And hmm. you don't know it until several months later. So. It's like parenting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But you have to wait 18 years probably (laughs) to see the results. Yeah. (laughs) This past year has not been easy. No. Right? Anything that you would, you know, like to share about kind of what you've learned over the past year? I think we should all try to be kind to everyone. I think, I mean, we are all under a lot of stress and I think people are not reacting appropriately uh, to some situations. And and you never know what the other person is going through. So I think it's um, like if you're going to criticize someone, maybe think about it first. Um, and I also, I mean, this probably doesn't help, but I think... We are all in this together. I mean, I think, and maybe this is just my personal. I, I, I mean, I've been stuck at home most of the time, so I, I don't know <laughs> if I'm getting an, a wrong idea, but I'm not sure people realize that we are all in this together. I mean, this is a, a big issue happening to everyone in the world. It is a long-term issue that affects everyone, all you know, in in ways that you cannot predict right and sure. and you see where i think it's showing where we have the weak um 
weakness in our system, in our way of life. Yeah. And maybe it's a good time to think about it and try to do, yeah, I don't know. Maybe like so reframe refra- how we... Yeah, yeah, reframe, get a more fair world and... When we started this podcast a year and a half ago, it's been a year, well, yeah, yeah it's yeah. been a year and a half since we decided to do this, which is nuts. But uh, the, it took a little while for us to kind of work out the premise, and then we ultimately landed on the common good as sort of like the central theme that, you know, what if we were all kind of minor characters in a much bigger story, and yeah. and what if the individualism that we really you know have have been raised with in in the american culture that has like a fundamental flaw to it that felt like a very fringe idea a year and a half ago (laughs) had no idea that you know 2020 would just be full of all the things that are are kind of showcasing what you i think it's kind of what you were alluding to as maybe the weakness in that system of of hyper individualization and so it's been very interesting that the collective experience yeah. has sort of put a focus on this idea that what we do individually does actually have downline to the people around us and that we're not just like little islands, all yeah. of us. We are really all in this together and that's not just a catchphrase that's been used it's actually true. There's this deep seated truth that we all are in an ecosystem together. Yeah. We wanted to kind of highlight that from a business standpoint and to say like, this is, this is like a cool idea to highlight, you know, (laughs) like that businesses really provide an eco. They're part of an ecosystem and working together, collaboration, all that stuff. But it's actually down to like a real human, you know, core issue now. Yeah. In our culture. I I agree. I agree. And getting back to like your question about if in Spain businesses were more collaborative, I I feel like maybe they they are not more collaboratively actively like like greenhouse and me, but there is a difference um like you will have bars and restaurants, you know, one next to the other like a concentration of the same, they will serve the same, you know, paella. And anybody will think, you have all your competition next to you, but actually it helps to bring more people. And, you know, if the, the area does well, everybody does well. And maybe you see it a little in OTR where there is a concentration of bars and places, but, and I think that something is missing in Lebanon is more more businesses to attract more people to get even more business. So, hmm. and I feel like sometimes you can, you can, yeah, you are part of a community without realizing it, that, that your actions matter. And, and sometimes it is easy to see the effects and other is not like, I think with the pandemic, it's starting to be more obvious. Well, I mean, maybe not at first, but especially now that the schools have started and, you know, if one kid was sick, they, you know, they contact everyone that was in contact, right? So now you start seeing your network of people and who you interact and and who you can affect 
just by being in the same room, right? Hmm. Um, yeah. What's interesting about that is that that same principle is true of all of our interactions. Like the, the way that we treat people with kindness, for example, with respect, with dignity, that actually multiplies out too. Like that actually touches a lot of people. Yeah. And the, the ethics with which we do business, it impacts, yes, our customers and the businesses around us, but that also has a ripple effect as well. Yeah. And so like that principle is very core to life that we all, we all do have an impact that we probably have no idea how, how big of an impact, honestly, yeah. positively or negatively. Because yeah. <laughs> some people have had a real negative impact on my life. Yeah. And maybe <laughs> I've had a really negative impact on other people's life. You yeah, know, that's... Sometimes. I don't like thinking about that. I mean, it makes me think that we need to be very intentionally self-aware of our ideas because our ideas are contagious. And when our ideas are toxic, that is a pandemic situation. Yeah. You know, and everybody in, you know, broadening circles are affected slightly or significantly by our philosophy, by the way that we relate to one another. And if we do that well, instead of poorly, then that infectious, you know, idea that we're passing through our community is something that makes us stronger instead of weaker. And I've been thinking about that a lot. How... It's like, how do you know what you think or believe or your ideas are fair, right, or kind? I, I cannot see people, you know, people that I don't agree with, they don't say, oh, I'm a mean person and that's why I think like this. They have their own explanation on how, why they, their view is okay. And so sometimes I'm like, okay, Am I the do I have the right view? And I'm think I'm just thinking I'm kind, but I'm not. <laughs> I'm making people's life miserable. Or, you know. And I think it, making cheese is improving everybody's life. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. The question that I ask everybody at the end of the interview is actually the question that we've been kind of talking more in depth about, which is like the long-term ramifications of what you're doing here and how you're choosing to live. Do you think that what you're doing and how you're living will matter in a hundred years? I mean, I don't think the business, I mean, the business is still there. It'd be surprising. I don't know, but I mean, other parts of life or how I try to treat people or employees or, or where we buy our supplies. Um, I don't know if a hundred years, but I, we're hoping that it's that it matters and it's for the good. I yeah, I I do think about it. And actually, I mean, we can get more in details. For example, I use cow's milk, right? And now everybody has heard that cows <laughs> produce methane and that uh, in, increases the atmospheric temperature or I don't know and so for a while I was really worried I'm like okay I'm here saying that I care about the environment and I'm just gonna keep making you know something that uh, uses cows um, and so I did more research and I it's 
with all this, it's hard to know because every time there are new information coming out and it's a little complicated, but I've been reading how uh, how the cows are treated and how they eat and if they go outside can change how they affect uh, the, the production of methane and how much gas they will release. So for example, if they eat grass and if they are outside in the pasture, actually the fact that they are outside eating grass and pooping in the <laughs> pasture, actually the pastures accumulate carbon and there are big places to accumulate carbon and take carbon out of the air. And, and so the small productions, in my mind, what I've understood is small pro productions, agricultural productions that, that follow traditional ways to do it where the animal is part of the ecosystem, right? It's walking to the pastures and then coming back and those are less negative impact that the animals that are just all the time in a barn, just eating grain, soy, that was grow thousands of miles from the farmer and, and they just eat that. And so that made me feel a little better. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But then I'm like, okay, now if we eat meat, we need to eat meat from our local pro farmer that I know has the cows outside and, you know. And so, yeah, I ask myself the question all the time. It's like, what are, are we doing something and can we do something different that will improve, um, I mean, life and maybe not, you know, sometimes maybe here in Ohio, you know, the weather might change a little, but not that bad. But I mean, people in California and the West Coast are suffering and probably for whatever we do here. So it's, it's hard to tell that. I love that you and others are thinking about the way in which food is created, yeah. <laughs> you know, because it, we definitely culturally went on like this mass production kick then we're still there pro i know we're still there but yeah. i mean there's a lot of there's a lot of return to normal ancient yeah. ideas you know the way that things are sort of designed to work and i think that that's that has to be a good thing for people listening today about lamppost cheese is there one thing or two simple things that we could do that would help your business succeed? I think when you go to a store, just be aware, like, who are local producers? Uh, if I can buy eggs from a local producer. If you go to a restaurant, of course, not McDonald's, or, but even sometimes dive bars, you will be surprised that they buy local food uh, producers. And... If it's not written, maybe you can just ask, is, like, is this local? And I think if they keep hearing people saying, is this local, is this local? They will start being like, okay, let's, let's get local. So we mm -hmm. can say yes. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to the One Small Difference podcast. We're thrilled that you would take any time out of your day to join us in these conversations. 
we find a lot of meaning and value in these and hopefully you do too. Check us out on Facebook at facebook.com slash osdpod. And we post stuff there. You can like it if you like it. Uh, you can also find us on Instagram, one underscore small underscore difference. And um, if you enjoy what you hear, you could make a verbal recommendation to a friend as well. Yeah, those are probably the best things that you can do. But if you don't feel like doing it verbally, you could give us five stars wherever you listen to the podcast and write some kind words. Don't write a bad review because that actually detracts from what we're trying to do. So if you don't like it, just, I guess, turn it off. But well, uh, The most significant thing about a negative review is the emotional damage that it causes us individually. Right. If it would occur. Which it hasn't. It, it hasn't. So keep up the good work, guys. Go out and live today in a way that will matter in 100 years. Shalom. Shalom.